Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. How many of you have ever had an opportunity, what, a good one? Have you ever seized an opportunity? Yeah? Yeah, I know you have. Have you ever regretted missing an opportunity? Oh, yeah. Those, those aren't the happy ones, huh? Okay. We're going to be in Acts 8 today. Lord, I thank you. Here I am. Here we are to, oh, to be in your word and to love on you. And we thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name. Got one of those throats today, you know. Need some water? The microphone. Can I have my water in? Thank you. Oh, I brought a helper today. <laughs> I brought two helpers today, huh, Jericho? Yes, I did. They are such excellent, excellent, excellent people. So. A mom was preparing pancakes for her son, Kevin, who was five, and Ryan, who was three years old. The boys began to argue over who was going to get that first delicious hot pancake. And their mother saw an opportunity for a moral lesson. And she said, you know, if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. <laughs> Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus this time. <laughs> Perfect. When the sun rises, it rises on everyone, right? Yes, it does. Opportunity, as the dictionary defines it, is a favorable or advantageous combination of circumstances that come at a suitable time or occasion, sometimes. You know, don't we all love opportunities? We hunt them down just to, to get them. So when we go shopping, we were just talking about shopping. Don't we love an opportunity to buy something and pay less, less for it than what it's marked? Yes, ma'am. And I remember as a frazzled mom, always looking for a few quiet moments, that opportunity just to have a quiet moment, time alone when you're in the bathroom. <laughs> Mama! Doesn't work. Mama! What are you doing in there? I need you. Royal just ate the fish. <laughs> <laughs> a fisherman is always looking for that sweet spot that's full of hungry fish right on yeah a business person is always looking for an opportunity to take him or her he or she they or them to the top of the ladder in Acts 8 we have three people who are actually taking possession of advantageous opportunities presented to them the first, we have Philip. Now, he was one of the seven men. Remember, we were in Jerusalem, and um, the apostles had said, you know, we're not going to 
were having a problem with these serving the widows and the orphans food. And so we don't want to, you know, hamper us putting the message out there and, and serve tables. So we're going to choose seven men and that they can do that. Men who are wise and full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And so Philip was one of them. Stephen was the other, right? We know what happened to Stephen. He was martyred. So anyway, we learn that wisdom is a gift from God. And in Proverbs 2, 6, for God gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So if we're lacking wisdom, we want to go to him and say, I need, please fill me up. Not only was Philip wise, but he was ready, willing, and able to go anywhere the Lord sent him to share the gospel. And here's something that I thought of. Obedience. Obedience is a pregnant opportunity. <clears throat> when we obey God, oh man, he can do just about anything through this vessel. So during this time, there was some persecution going on because of Stephen had been martyred. And the people rose up, and oh man. And that Saul, he was always ravaging and pillaging and putting people into prison, men and women. Oh my goodness, he was not a likable character, was he? Or at least in, in my thoughts. That was before he met the Lord. So there was a great amount of persecution of the church happening. Most of the believers had run out of Jerusalem. Just about everybody had left, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. And all the rest were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And thus fulfilling the promise in the commission in Acts 1.8 that says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So while Saul was making prisoners of Christ's followers, Philip went down to Samaria, and he preached Christ there. Philip was the only man in the Bible who was called an evangelist. And it says that in uh, Acts 21.8. An evangelist in the Greek simply means bringer of good news. Jesus is such good news. Mm -hmm. So like God's holy DoorDash, the evangelist <laughs> travels from place to place, spreading the gospel, preaching the word of God, proclaiming and communicating Jesus as Savior. So with the Holy Spirit empowering Philip, amazing things were happening. And the evil, this is quoted from verse 8. Evil spirits were coming out of many. Many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. In spite of the persecution, in spite of the terror and the fear, there was great joy and hope happening in the city. So when God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is unleashed, all kinds of good stuff is happening. And one thing the Holy Spirit in you does, <clears throat> he loves talking about Jesus. Well, Philip was on a mission making sure everyone within ear reach heard the good news. And we are part of that same commission that Jesus gave his disciples in 1.8. T.A. McMahon states, For the believer in Jesus, every trial of suffering is an opportunity to grow in faith and in relationship to their Lord. 
One thing that I regret, an opportunity, um, we had a family gathering and my uncle, aunt and uncle had come over from from Reading and, and she and I were sitting on the couch, my aunt, and, and she says, so Linda, tell me about your newfound faith. And I was just weeks old in the Lord. I didn't even know what I was doing. Probably there was more world left in me than there was Jesus coming into me. <laughs> and so we sat there and I fumbled and mumbled and said a few things and and I was caught off guard and I was embarrassed. <clears throat> and after that, I felt like I had failed Jesus. Oh, just like Peter. I felt like I had failed him completely. I was totally unworthy. I wasn't going anywhere with this. But I vowed that I was not going to let that ever happen to me again. So I took classes and I read books on it so that I could be more effective in sharing my gospel. But you know what really prepares you? Doing it. Just doing it. Even if you fumble or fail, do it. <laughs> the Word of God is powerful, right? Let it speak for you. So I have to remember, and we spoke about that this morning in the prayer room, that one person plants, one person waters, God does the harvesting. It's not all up to me. You know, I, I took on too much of a responsibility. You know, I'm just to obey, to pray, and to, to speak, take every opportunity that I get to tell someone about Jesus. Pretty simple. If you include God in it. Some of us are naturally great at sharing the word. They just It just is something natural to them. Some of us are a little bit shy. Oh, boy. I know I'm shy. <laughs> or afraid that we'll say the wrong thing. Boy, have I done that on a number of occasions. <laughs> if that's you, then ask God to give you an opportunity to share his story and his love with others. Pray, Lord, please bring me an opportunity so I can show them your love, your, your goodness, your plan for their future. Help me with this. And the Holy Spirit is your helper. He will come alongside you and he will give you words to say. He is your helper. So all God's children have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I wonder why. Oops, excuse me. Amazing things. The amazing things that were happening in Jerusalem at that time. Remember, they were healing the sick and they were uh, people were being one to Christ. And it was just incredible. So I'm wondering, why isn't that happening today? Why don't we see more of that? And, I mean, we have the same spirit, we have the same God, and we have the same needs that they had, and then some. I know, we think that we're in a pretty awful time, and we are. We're one day closer today to, the, to meeting Jesus than we were yesterday, and that's pretty exciting. So... I had the question is has God lost some of his power over the years and we all said no he has not lost anything he's still God of the universe the creator of everything the sustainer of everything he has not changed just as powerful as he was in the beginning as he is now or perhaps maybe we keep the Holy Spirit locked down in a, in a little tight box 
under our control. We let him out when we want him to be. Not We don't give him the freedom. Or for fear others might think we're radicals. Well, possibly that might be the case. But I say, let's be radical. Let's get radical in allowing the Holy Spirit to not only dwell in us, but work through us in the works of God. So it, the Bible tells us that we're to fear God and not men. No reason to feel embarrassed. It's God we fear. Man can only take our lives. God is the one who holds our souls. So God encourages us to guard and examine our own heart in spiritual matters and to test our faith. He tests our faith, right? Like a refining fire. But we are to, we're responsible for our faith also. He wants us to examine it, to search it out. Is what you're thinking the truth? Is what you're providing the truth? Ask yourself, am I growing closer to God or am I drawing away, becoming more content to stay in neutral? You know what a car does in neutral? It might be easy to push off the side of the road. It might be easy go rolling down a hill, but at some point in time, it stops, right? And it has no power to go forward on its own when it's in neutral. And so, don't be a neutral. Don't stay there. Shove that thing into gear. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? Yeah. You have all the power you need to do great things. To manifest those signs and wonders that was in the first church. It's all in there. In you. So we've done Philip, he was number one. So second, we are introduced to Simon the Sorcerer, the big kahuna of magic, the opportunist who made his money tricking people out of theirs. Now he, was, he has found something advantageous to himself in, in Philip's teaching, and he desires it at any price. And so I'm going to read Acts 8, 9 through 13. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people. He amazed them. They were like, wow, you know, have you heard about this guy that can do this and that? Everyone looked to him. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. You know, the apostles had stayed in Jerusalem. But when they heard all this commotion happening in Samaria, they quickly went to go and see, how are things going on down there? We hear a lot. They sent in the big guns, Peter and John. When they got there, they found that the people had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now there's going to be some power. 
Normally, the Holy Spirit enters a person's life at conversion. How many of you know that there's more of the Holy Spirit? More of the Holy Spirit and more of the Holy Spirit. But this is how God chose to accomplish his purpose for this new uh, Gentile set of believers. You know, when I came to the Lord, I was so green. Oh, my gosh. I knew nothing. I had no positive experience in the church at all or even believers. And so I was really green, and everything was brand new to me. I found out, you know, after I was uh, came to the Lord that I needed the Holy Spirit. Everybody told me, you need the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? You need the Holy Spirit. I'm going, okay, let's do this thing. I want everything that God has for me. I was in the church every time the door opened. I was that hungry for more of him. So I had people lay hands on me. I had them pray for me. Nothing. Nada. Nothing happened. I thought, there must be something wrong with me. I am so incomplete. I am, I'm just really not, not all there is for a bag of chips. And so what happened was I researched. I read books. And I, I just kept trying to find where is where's the problem? Is it me? Is it you know, it's gotta be me. And so I just got away by myself. And literally I was reading uh, Jack Hayford's little tiny pamphlet on the Holy Spirit. And I went out on this bluff overlooking the ocean up at Trinidad and I sat there and I sat there until dark till I got the Holy Spirit and he gave it so generously, so graciously did he give to me that life has never been the same. And it was just me and him there, just me and him. It didn't require anybody else. I love that about God. He just wants so bad to be your one and only. You know, not everyone appreciates the workings of the Holy Spirit. Simon wanted the Spirit for selfish purposes, to get all the eyes back on him. He'd had it once, he wanted it back. And now he saw all this stuff going on with the signs and the wonders and people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and all these wonderful signs going on. And he wanted to use the Spirit for his own benefit. So now I'm going to read Acts 8, 18-25. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands by Peter and John, by the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit and look to me. Right? Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to God. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon begged. He said, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of God, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in every Samarian villages. Samarian villages. So... That put Mr. Magic in his place. Mm -hmm. And we see that maybe he really wasn't saved. 
they could see it, you know. They could see that, man, his heart was still unrepentant. It was still selfish. It was still that opportunist type of thought that, hey, I can do something for myself out of this. But that's not God's way. He gives us gifts so that we can give them to the church and use them to bless other people, to edify and to exhort other people. So lastly, we meet the Ethiopian eunuch. He is presented with a wonderful opportunity to become a believer and be baptized by Philip. His was a divinely orchestrated miracle. And I just had this funny picture of Philip just jogging alongside the chariot as fast as he could, you know, because this was by a horse and they were going out in the desert and it was hot. And so I, it just became a cartoon in my mind, you know. <laughs> hey, pull over. <laughs> Let's talk. So this Ethiopian man, he had great power and authority, status and prestige, and he held the position of Secretary of the Treasury of Ethiopia. He had traveled a thousand miles on his pilgrimage to Jerusalem with a complete entourage. Now Jericho, I had him look up how many miles, or how, how far would you get 1,000 miles away from Eureka, right? We looked up so many ways of trying to get a search engine on this. We couldn't get anything. So. Anyway, I worded it a little bit different, and it said we'd end up in Denver, Colorado. Oh. If we, and that's flight miles, that's not miles, that's <laughs> flight miles. That's, as the crow flies, <laughs> 1,000 miles from Eureka, California to Denver, Colorado. And so I looked up also, how many steps would that be? I mean, these, some of these guys were walking, <laughs> some were in chariots, some were on horseback, camel, who, I wasn't there. It's 2,112,000 steps wow. from Ethiopia where he was to Jerusalem that's some serious footage unfortunately when he got to Jerusalem being a eunuch it prohibited him from full assembly with God's people and you'll find that in Deuteronomy 23 1 so male officials were often altered at a young age in order to help them act appropriately around the king's harem or around the queen. And in this instance, an Ethiopian queen, her title was Candace. That wasn't her name. I always thought her name was Candace. I thought, oh, isn't that cute? We have Candaces today. But her name, it's Candace is how some people say it. Much like the ruler of Egypt is called Pharaoh. So scholars believe the Ethiopian was a God-fearer or a searcher, a Gentile who had a deep interest in the Jewish faith. The fact that he made the long journey and he actually had the scroll of Isaiah he was reading in Isaiah was proof that he, he was serious about his search. God used Philip as a conduit to convey the good news of Jesus. Now the Bible doesn't tell us, so who told the eunuch when he was in his home residence about Jesus that he would have so much faith that it would send him on a journey to Jerusalem it doesn't tell you that and you know when it's okay that we don't have the answer to some of these mysteries it's okay it's a done deal he went he had faith he went <clears throat> but he had lots more answers he's a lot more growing to do and so let's read Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
go. Oh, if we could be so, so obedient that when God said go, we would go. And I love the song that Jerry had. Here I am, send me, right? Go south on the road to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on the way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Oh, good, you already did that. Wonder, <laughs> thank you. Heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the, this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. The eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage. He began right where the, the eunuch was. That's where he began, and that's such a good word for us. We begin where they are. If you're going to tell someone about the Lord, you listen for that opening right where they are, right where the need is. So Philip began with that very passage in Isaiah, a scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, it wasn't just a sprinkling. They got in the water. Full immersion. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Oh my gosh, is that how we're going to travel when we're in heaven? Just plop, plop, wherever, plop. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel to all the towns until he reached Caesarea. What do you think the Ethiopian did when he returned home because, and he was full of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit love to do? Preach, talk, share. Right on. That's exactly what he did. Exactly what he did. He preached Jesus just like Philip did to him. And within 300 years, the official religion of Ethiopia was Christianity. There's that, there's that law of God. Someone plants, someone waters, God harvests. God does the growing and the harvesting. Well, I hope you have some takeaways from Acts 8. I know I do. What a rich study this was. And one of the takeaways that I had is, is I found in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise.
You know, God shows no pers no partiality. We deal with one of the seven. We dealt with someone who went through the motions of being saved and converted, but it never quite took. And then we went to the Ethiopian eunuch who he wanted something. We don't know how it got started, but he was so hungry for more that he took a thousand mile trip to worship in a temple that he had heard about. I love that, that verb, that go get him. So he wants everyone to come to salvation regardless of your ethnicity, geography, race, color, or creed. God wants us. He loves us for God so loved the world that he gave up his only son, that whoever believes in him and trusts in his finished work on the cross will not perish, but have eternal, eternal life. That's the NLT, the New Linda Translation. <laughs> so there's no easy way to transition from preaching to the sacred act of communion, except for to just go for it, right? And the act of baptism, just like the eunuch uh, had done, and even the sorcerer had done, and Philip had done, the, the act of water baptism is a sign of identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Well, the act of participating in communion is also a sacred identification with Jesus and is a proclamation of his atoning death. It's a time of reflection for all that we have received through his great sacrifice. It's a time to examine yourselves and what's in your heart. Communion, like I say, it's a sacred identification with Jesus. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.